This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. What are the limits to obedience? This is a question that every Catholic in our time asks themselves, at least every Catholic who is aware and horrified by the things happening to the faith. The, this question of limits to obedience is an even larger question for those in religious life and those seeking holy orders, especially those dedicated to the traditional form of the faith, meaning the Catholic faith as it was practiced up until about 65 years ago, give or take. That question has led many to seek out what would be called technically illicit consecration and illicit ordination. Now, there are some who will say being illicitly ordained by valid priests and valid bishops who can offer and confect the valid sacraments is still a sin under all circumstances and to be avoided. There are others who take a more nuanced view, and I think we should take a look at this today because an article was published by The Remnant a few days ago where the interviewer was having a conversation with Dom Alcuin Reed, whom I have spoken with privately in email before, and I do mean to sit down with him and have a conversation with him for this channel. Let me know if you'd like to see that. I really need to get on that. <laughs> he has asked about the illicit ordinations that he received. We'll put illicit in quotes here, because there was nothing truly illicit about it when you understand the state the church is in. And he's not the only one who has been forced into this situation. Another high-profile religious, high-profile because of his presence on social media, was forced into this situation as well. And he took a lot of flack for this, from especially organizations that are allegedly friendly to traditional Catholicism. So let's take a look at this first story here today as we go over both of these cases. So headline from The Remnant. Desperate times, desperate measures, clandestine ordinations, and a time of ecclesial confusion. So a little background here. Dom Alcuin Reed received a clandestine ordination of the priesthood, along with another member of his religious community, who was himself ordained to the traditional diaconate. The survival of their religious community was at stake. The diocese was falling, failing in its duties to ensure the access to the sacraments for that community. This happened in France. And it was part of a larger just bit of chaos there that some would say was ultimately related to how that the local ordinary was functionally replaced while still technically holding onto his seat by being given a coadjutor bishop who came down hard on traditional ordinations and traditional groups. But this ordination may not have actually had anything to do with that per se, although in hindsight, his treatment may have been influenced by it. Dom Alcuin Reed was ordained by a high-ranking prelate in good standing with the church. This was a bishop who has recognition from the Vatican as a valid bishop. This is not a situation where it was a, quote, independent bishop or anything else. This was somebody who apparently, if the priest were to reveal the identity of, you would know this person. That's how high profile he is. And according to Dom Alcuin Reed, another high-profile bishop recommended this route. Let's get into the story. So he's asked about 
the necessity for it and how he feels about this 18 months after the fact. And here's his answer. Quote, No one wanted to take the steps we did, most especially not ourselves. But with our bishop effectively paralyzed by ongoing Vatican scrutiny and pressure, and therefore being unable to give our community the assurance of the sacramental life that is its living heart, most especially the Mass, we were faced with accepting a, a gradual spiritual ending. We prayed, we consulted, I went back again and again to Bishop Ray to see if there was any possibility of moving forward. There is nothing I can do, was his constant response. His was not so much a refusal to ordain us as a declaration of his inability to do so. His hands were tied, though at the time only very few knew how tightly. Knowing this situation, one prelate offered to confer the ordinations. Another advised that disobedience to the norms was better than other options. Others were distressed at the impasse and what it could mean for us. Our decision to accept the offer of ordinations, for which we never asked, was made in conscience, over time, before God. Conscientious disobedience is a reality in moral theology, albeit rightly rare in practice. We chose to survive instead of being put to the ecclesiastical sword. Certainly there was much fuss when this became known. It was imprudently and abruptly made public by a diocesan official two weeks after I informed the bishop privately, seeking to find a way to move forward together peacefully. And all that generated more heat than light. Canonically, the documents emanating from our chancery were embarrassing, more reactions than considered acts. Regardless of all of this, and of the sanctions you mentioned, the, viol the validity of which are dubious, we have experienced a great peace, that pox inter spinas, that peace amidst the thorns, in our daily life ever since. We no longer have to beg for priestly ministry. I no longer have to spend anxious Saturdays begging busy priests to somehow find time to come to offer Mass for us and for the people who come here on a Sunday. We can pray and work tranquilly and know that the Mass will be the center of our daily monastic observance. At which point he is asked, As time has passed, have those who were originally scandalized by the ordination come to see the wisdom of such a move? And here is his response. I'm sure that many people were surprised, if not shocked. Some were angry, but I am not sure that we scandalized people. People who know us know that we are fairly balanced and mainstream ecclesiastically, even if we do celebrate the older rites, and that I personally have worked closely with Bishop Ray and other high-ranking prelates in liturgical matters for quite some time. People certainly asked why we believed it necessary. The answer to that came in June 2022, when it was revealed that in the previous April, the month our ordinations took place, the Holy See, as part of its ongoing scrutiny of Bishop Ray, had formerly forbidden him to ordain anyone at all. This was a shock, but perhaps not a surprise, and had nothing at all to do with us, but with a group of malcontent priests in the diocese who, had two years before, launched a petition against the bishop's seminary reforms prompting the Vatican to start fraternal visits, banning ordinations, and sending in an apostolic visitation at the beginning of 2023, and then appointing a coadjutor bishop with special powers and removing those from Bishop Ray in November 2023. When people understand this wider context, they see how it was necessary for us to act in order to survive. We have received much understanding and support, including from several bishops and many clergy. We all regret that these steps were necessary and sincerely wish they had not been. So too, we have always publicly deprecated the moves against Bishop Ray. But yes, people do understand that our move was necessary, if not actually prudent in the context in which we found ourselves. End quote. When the news of that coadjutor bishop being appointed came out, I was rather surprised to see 
traditional commentators, especially in the longer established print media, saying that the coadjutor bishop being appointed was a good move. At this point in things, the presence of coadjutor bishop should be obvious for what it is, to prevent the growth of traditionalism in the diocese among the clergy, which is what they are most afraid of. And that is what happened there, and that is what has happened in other cases. And it's very clearly in the context of things there why this would happen in that, in that situation. And then it came out later that that coadjutor bishop was not friendly to tradition, as was reported by traditional media earlier. Now, the necessity of seeking valid orders illicitly has been an ongoing conversation among religious for some time now, addressed in part by Vigano and other independent bishops who now offer assistance to priests and seminarians. But even they have their hands full, forcing others to seek out valid sacraments elsewhere. So, in late 2021, then-brother Martin Navarro published an article at 1 Peter 5, describing the situation for religious as Operation Survival. Now, Navarro had been in a similar situation for that of Father Reed. Navarro had gone through the actual official system and had different bishops confirm that he had a vocation to the priesthood. He describes getting kicked out of seminary for being too traditional, being caught with a traditional breviary and having traditional devotions. That had been why he had been kicked out of seminary. And when his traditional Catholicism came to light, his religious order was blocked at every turn by modernist bishops. I know these things because I asked him. Here are Brother Martin Navarro's thoughts on his piece published by 1 Peter 5 a few years ago called Operation Survival. Quote, Ever since the apostolic visitation to the friars of the Immaculate in 2013, religious life for communities allowing members to use liturgical rites secured by Samoran Pontificum has never been the same. Priests of the Franciscans and the Immaculate were forbidden to incarnate into dioceses. Those who left formation were forbidden to start another Franciscan community. The Franciscans who went to Viterbo were forbidden to do any public apostolate in that diocese. And similar communities suffered canonical suppression, such as the priestly fraternity of Familia Christi and the oppression of the Little Sister of Mary, Mother of the Redeemer. Even when Samoran Pontificum enjoyed the force of law, persecution was still strong. Some bishops found ways to ostracize diocesan priests who had begun low masses on weekdays in their parishes, and even to suppress new religious communities, where members offered low masses even privately on their day off. There are many priests who are unknown martyrs to the rest of us, discovering the traditional Catholic faith after their ordination, being strongly convicted by it, implementing changes in their spirituality and in their parishes, and being suspended and sent to receive psychological treatment as a result. Worse now, Traditionis Custodis explicitly says that bishops are to allow no new groups, which comes after Pope Francis required bishops to receive his per permission to start a community of diocesan rite. Bishop Paprocki rushed to aid communities in his diocese, such as the private association known as the Canons Regular of St. Thomas Aquinas, dispensing them from the tyrannical prohibitions of Traditionis Custodis. But how long can this last? The community formed by the seminarians who left the Franciscans of the Immaculate were supported by a bishop in the Philippines. Randomly one morning, the same Filipino bishop awoke to read in La Servitor Romano that he had resigned. After the document Cor Orans promulgated to drastically govern the lives of contemplative nuns around the world, and after recent apostolic visitations of contemplative communities in the U.S., every traditional religious community is concerned for its future. The letter published after a meeting of the superiors of many of the major traditional Latin mass communities to the bishops of Francis evidence of this fact. The situation in the church begs a serious question. What about religious? Do we really need nuns? Do we really need monks? Do we really need lay brothers? What are the contemplative Carmelite nuns? 
recently subjected to canonical visitations by the Vatican, to do if they are oppressed or suppressed. End quote. Navarro goes on to describe how canon law protects the formation of individual organizations and how that canon law conflicts with other actions by the Vatican. And that's not his real point in the article. Navarro's real point is that the survival of religious orders is at stake in our time. Then-brother Martin Navarro believed that to such a degree that after reaching out to the SSPX for help, and to Vigano, and to others, none of whom had the time or inclination to help him, he finally sought ordination from a technically schismatic group of priests and bishops who had valid orders. Yes, their orders are valid, and the bishop who ordained him offers the traditional mass in union with the sitting Roman pontiff. That is the essence of Operation Survival. When is it legitimate to seek the sacraments of holy orders out illicitly? Some would say that he and Father Reed should have just done what Rome said, regardless of whether it meant the eventual destruction of their religious communities, and even the ending of the traditional form of their communities and charisms entirely. Father Martin runs the only truly traditional order of men's Augustinians in the world at this time. Yes, there are other Augustinian orders, but none are truly religious. And no, I don't want to compare Father Alcuin Reed and Father Martin Navarro's situations, both sought out their sacraments technically illicitly, meaning they didn't have permission from Rome or the local ordinary for their ordination. Father Reed was ordained by an unnamed but officially recognized and apparently very high-profile bishop, and Father Navarro was ordained by a bishop who, with valid orders who was a member of a schismatic group. They are very different, but as this is often the case, most of these priests that you hear about this are also very different from one another in their situations. There are some who would say that going to Archbishop Vigano for a clandestine ordination would also be illicit and an evil sin. But I'm curious what you think about this. Is it justified to go and seek this clandestine ordination when it's very clear that Rome wants to squash traditional Catholicism, especially in the religious orders? Because among the religious orders, it's most likely to survive and thrive. And it will be done so out of the uh, generally away from the watchful eye of the local ordinary who doesn't oversee things at religious communities quite as closely as he typically does with his own diocesan priests. Curious what you have to say about all this in the comments. So let me know and hit like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to sharing this on social media, that helps too. And if you have ever thought about supporting Return to Tradition through Patreon or subscribe store by hitting that join button, Please consider doing so. It does help keep these daily messages coming, and thank you for those who do so already. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.